Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambutasa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambutasa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambutasa aparuta de sangamatasa tavara so this afternoon I will reflect on the four Brahma Viharas. These are translated into English, uh, Brahma's a Translated as divine, the four divine abodes. So in English, the word divine is, is uh, relates to heaven, is something transcendent or perfect. And so these four Brahma Viharas are, uh, you know, they're ideals. Therefore, there are four beautiful ideas that uh, we we translate metta as the first Vamavihara. Metta is loving kindness. The second is karuna, compassion. Third is mudita, sympathetic joy. Fourth one is uh, equanimity. So these, you know, intellectually we can understand, we want to define them like metta, loving kindness, <clears throat> and we use English words best we can find to describe metta, but loving kindness is, it can be interpreted in many ways. But actual metta means, it means love in the sense of unconditioned love. It's not, it's not about what I personally prefer or think about who's, who's worthy of my love or anything like that. It's not about, do, in, in spreading metta, we, we spread it to all sentient beings good or bad, devils, angels, the whole lot. So this is unconditioned love, where the word love in English oftentimes is conditioned. I love this person, but I don't love that person. <clears throat> so that is about love that is very personal, who I like, who I approve of, I love that person. <clears throat> but that one, who gives, is, troublesome, difficult, I don't, don't like, I don't love at all. <clears throat> so in the Christian tradition, we call it unconditioned love. So what do we mean by that? By love, the word love or by metta, it means it's, isn't love what holds things together? If there's no love, everything falls apart. So in a war, 
that goes on, there's no love, loving kindness there. There's is anger, hatred, prejudice, biases that we're operating from as individuals. But if there's metta or loving kindness, then the enemy we we love, the our own troops we love, our group, our tribe, our cult, our sangha we love, as well as all every other sentient being. So as an ideal, that is a beautiful ideal. But what is the reality of it? What can can uh, can me as an individual person love every sentient being on the planet, or beings I can't even know about, like the devils or angels? So, you know, so when we see it in a personal way, we can't really have loving kindness. We can create the illusion of it by positive thinking. But the minute something happens that we don't like, then we're back in the mode of our conditioned reaction to life, our, con our initial conditioning of getting angry and violent and and disillusioned. So from my own insight into love, it is pure conscious awareness. Because as you begin to recognize pure unconditioned consciousness as your refuge, then that isn't about Personal. That's. I don't create that as a personal identity. It's not me or mine anymore. It's what's natural, what's real, the reality of being. So love is what holds everything together. If there's no loving kindness, there'd be nothing. So in terms of other religions, like God is about love and Jesus Christ is about love and love is, is in the air. And it brings people together. People, two people that love each other like to be with each other. When they don't love each other anymore, love each other anymore, they separate. So love is a very powerful reality in the human experience. And the English word love is used for anything, like, so, I mean, it's used for liking fish and chips, or sweets, or certain places or things, but so it's a very dodgy word to use because it means oftentimes sexual attraction or personal preference. But in the terms of metta, it's, it's not about that anymore. It's not about me and my personal preferences, but it's about 
Dhamma or ultimate reality. Then the second Brahma Vihara or divine abode is Karuna or compassion. So compassion is our ability to feel the suffering of others, to recognize the, the ignorance of the world and how we, people suffer oftentimes uh, you know, in ways that they shouldn't be suffering, like war creates endless suffering uh, around the planet. So compassion, when we just notice when you read about what's happening in Ukraine and Russia, there's a sense of compassion for people, for women, for children being disabled at an early age and so on and on like that, so that we naturally feel uh, compassion for most of us. Feel, feel a sense of compassion at the injustices and sadness of, of life as we witness it, as we experience it. So it's a truly divine state to be able to feel compassion and seeing it personally, like trying to identify with compassion is not the not developing the Brahma Vihara of Karuna, but we're not trying to make me a separate person, a compassionate person. As an ideal, you know, I would think I would like to be a compassionate person. But the person is very conditioned. And it can love the idea of compassion and want to feel compassion. But the reality of compassion is through non-personal recognition of Dhamma, the way it is. So this is, these are divine states, blessed states. And when we try to <clears throat> become compassionate or unconditionally loving, you know, that's a noble effort. But the real obstacle, what's in the way of really fulfilling that is the sense of a separate self. As long as I'm deluded by how I'm conditioned, by Sakya Ditti, by the ego, then that ego isn't conditioned for these noble states of mind. It's conditioned to, to like the idea of them, but the actual experience of life as an individual is, is a real challenge for most of us because you know, the world we experience through these forms is not ideal. This is not an ideal society or, or planet, planetary life. 
an ideal is, is being able to create in your mind how things should be if everything was perfect. So when we, we become disillusioned with life, when we might be idealistic when we're young, when we think we're going to change the world and make it better, that's a very noble ideal. It's an ideal. So I'm pointing out and emphasize that it's a, it's a good ideal, noble, but what always turns us cynical, turns us into a critic, into an angry person is the fact that what we're experiencing is not ideal. The experience of what we see, hear, smell, taste, touch, what we think is not ideal. A perm an ideal cannot be permanent. But it is the way it is. The third divine abode, Brahma Vihara, is, is mudita, or sympathetic joy. It's translated in English as sympathetic joy, the joy that we experience. Because the world that we experience through the senses, we have experiences of joy at the goodness of others, at the beauty of spring, of flowers, of of uh, generosity. But mudita is extended to, to everything rather than to just what I, I experience in the springtime or when I'm being recognized and appreciated and flattered. But it's a selfless response to to things, to life as we have to live with our egos, which are very conditioned to be jealous. If somebody kind of is better than me, or claims to be better than me, or gets more appreciation than I do, becomes richer than I do, then jealousy arises. So jealousy is a human emotion. It's not a divine abode. So trying to, to annihilate jealousy doesn't work because the weight, because ideally we don't want to be jealous. As an ideal, I don't want to be a jealous person. But the reality of the personal conditioning that I experience, jealousy arises. So then jealousy is seen as, you know, that somebody told me once that to deal with jealousy, just spread loving kindness to the person you're jealous of. And that doesn't work. You can kind of say the words, you know, and, and want to wish that you were actually not jealous, but that's the self-view still operating. 
sakyaditi or the ego, it can be modified through reason, logic, through experience. But basically, condition, you know, the conditioning takes place when, in our early years of, of life, when we're innocent, children. We're stuck with an ego for a lifetime, from, from childhood to old age. So jealousy, when it arises, is to witness it because it is impermanent and it's not self. So all these, like the lack of compassion or selfishness, all these things that aren't ideal. When we see them in a personal way, we, we, feel, we can feel uh, guilty, ashamed. We want to hide it from others. We want to get rid of it. We want to become perfect human beings by kind of willfully changing our, our way of thinking, our perspective. But it's not, you know, the conditioning process is very, very deep because when you're a child, you, you, know, you aren't asking for the best conditioning, you're getting what's offered. You know, you have no choice. And innocent children, what we love about children is their innocence, their spontaneity. Because <clears throat> we lose that as we get older. We become, we lose our innocence and that spontaneity of children. Because we are conditioned to see ourselves in various terms, positive or negative terms. And that's the ego, that's the sakyaditi. So like fear, jealousy, uh, selfishness, greed, anger, hatred, are a part of our experience as human individuals. There's no perfect human beings because perfect human beings, human beings are conditions. So what is not perfect, what is perfect is mindfulness, conscious awareness. Because that is is here and now, it's not about, it's not where, it's not about time or space. And as I've given many reflections on conscious, conscious awareness, you know, we all know we're conscious. That's a given assumption. But con we're conscious, we, you know, when we had, think that consciousness is what I am, then, then we claim it with, with words. We take it personally, I'm conscious. 
But conscious awareness or sati sampajanya, mindfulness and clear comprehension or complete perfect understanding is that all conditions are impermanent. Sape Sankaranita, all phenomena, all conditions are impermanent. So that means everything. What we see, hear, smell, taste, touch, what we think, our emotional habits, our feelings of love and hate, our jealousies and fears, our regrets, our guilt, remorse, our conditions are phenomenal. They're sankaras. So mindfulness is the way to, or awareness is to be aware of them as they as you recognize as you witness as you become mindful of inwardly what the the jealousy the fear the anger is like this and notice that these words it's like this is not judgmental they're merely a reference to to abide in pure conscious awareness that's our refuge that's our true home is in conscious awareness then equanimity upeka Translated as equanimity, is silence. When you recognize silence, when you abide in silence, that's the reality of upeka, of equanimity. Because there's an, it, it doesn't have any judgmental qualities. It's not for or against. It isn't about belief or disbelief. It's a natural, uncreated silence that is the background of all the other conditions that arise and cease in consciousness. recognizing that consciousness, pure consciousness, unconditioned, perfect consciousness, universal consciousness, in itself doesn't have eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, brain, mind. It doesn't have language. It is not Sanskrit or Pali or Thai or Latin or Greek or English or any other language. And I remember one powerful insight I had through reflecting on this was it given so much importance to language, to trying to describe consciousness or understand through words, through trying to get precise equivalents from Pali words into precise English equivalents or other languages as 
as uh, Pali Canon gets uh, translated into um, many other languages, trying to get perfect equivalence in Italian for Pali words. And that's an intellectual endeavor, not to be despised, but words are imperfect by nature. They're created and they're empty, no matter how ideal and, and powerful they might be. They're phenomenal. So words, when we just study Pali scriptures or Buddhist scriptures, you know, this is, we try to get enlightened through thinking, through trying to become an enlightened person, through a willful endeavor by quoting, quote, quoting Pali phrases, say, uh, wise sayings and so forth, so that they, this is uh, not to be criticized. But it's also coming from the sense of, I want to become enlightened. I want to have, be, have loving kindness, loving for all sentient beings. I want to feel compassion for the suffering of all creatures. I want to be free from jealousy and I want to experience joy at the goodness of, of life, the beauty of, of life. I want to be equanimous as a person. Can my, you know, just observing my personality, I don't see how my personality could ever be equanimous because it is a conditioned phenomenon. Wanting to become an arahant or a stream enter or a sotapanna. This is, you know, these are natural desires. These are kind of noble desires. We join the, the sangha, we keep the Vinaya rules, we, we meditate in order to become enlightened or to get enlightened. So during this pantsa, this, this retreat season, it's really important to, to be the witness to the, to the ego. I want to become enlightened is, a, you know, that's a noble goal. But can a personality become an enlightened personality? That's a question to ask yourself. Can you just feel loving kindness for all sentient beings, just that a personal will, willing yourself to say, I love all sentient beings equally, is, is uh, might, in moments of life, we might actually feel that way. But the experience of life is we've got to deal with different personalities. As we experience life in the Sangha, we've got to live in a Sangha of different personalities. And they don't always get along or they conflict or they don't understand each other. So 
So then we think, you know, as a monk, I used to think, I want to live alone, become a hermit, where I don't have to deal with other people's personalities, because I found, you know, that I, I didn't know how to deal with others people, other people's personalities. I had the idea of loving kindness, but when it came to the reality of experience, living day to day with other monks, with other people, I didn't always feel loving kindness toward them. So the Buddha emphasized Sati Sampachanya, Sati and investigation, Dhamma Vichaya. So mindfulness and investigation. Investigate the ego. What can you be aware of your ego? Yes. Not as a person. You've got to give up that thing that whatever you think, whatever you remember, whatever emotional habits you might be stuck with, that, you know, it's not a matter of how good or bad or stupid or intelligent or anything like that. It's just to be the witness, the pure witness of life as we experience through these forms, through the eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body. So bhavana, in this sense of meditation, is the, you know, the, is developing the path, is being the witness to the way it is, rather than the judge or the owner of it. So equanimity is the reality of, of awareness. Conscious awareness is equanimous. <clears throat> Where love and hate and greed and jealousy and fear, they're all phenomenal conditions that arise according to other conditions. So the first fetter, very important, the first three fetters, which I like to emphasize, to investigate. Dhamma investigate these. What is the ego? The English word ego we use. You can be aware of your ego. It's the way you think. How you identify with your emotions. Make judgments about your, your emotional habits, good or bad. How you identify with, with what you look like, with the gender of your body, with the color of your skin, with your age, all these we create a sense of separate experience in life through these forms. And that's how we've been conditioned. Modern societies are always emphasizing you are a, per, a, a person, a separate person. 
in my generation, you know, the whole emphasis is on becoming a, a real personality. Remember in high school, when I was in high school, way to insult somebody who said they didn't have any personality. I remember that in teenage. That girl doesn't have any personality. And so that was an insult because having a personality was an important uh, requirement in teenage life back in the 1940s. They say somebody has a lot of personality, meaning they're fun and lively and, and uh, you know, interesting. Lots of personality. But what is personality, whether it's depressed or morose or guilt-ridden or shamed or in feeling inferior or feeling superior, feeling better than others, all these are phenomenal conditions. They arise and cease according to other conditions. So trying to find out who you are as a person, you know, we get very confused. Who am I? Where do I fit in? Where do I belong? You know, because we, you hear these refrains oftentimes in, in uh, movies. And, uh, where does a trans person fit in? or a gay person, where do they fit into society? Or a black person, or on and on like that. We, there's so, such strong identities with these, uh, these conditions. What is a normal person? What is a normal man or a normal woman? You know, so, the perfect mother or perfect father. These are ideas. We, we all know how a perfect mother should be a perfect father. We can create ideal mothers and fathers, but in reality, mothers and fathers are living their lives from their conditioning. Which is imperfect. Conditioning is not about perfection, but about changing conditions, about grasping condition phenomena as, as what we are. When I grasp an idea that I am a certain thing, you know, that very grasping is the problem. It's not to, that not, that to try to become enlightened or become a Buddha, but, you know, through witnessing sakyaditi or the ego or the personality that you, you experience as an individual, is that it rises and ceases. And where does the personality arise from? From consciousness and cease in consciousness. If there is no consciousness, there'd be nothing. So space 
and time are in consciousness. So consciousness is something you don't have to find as some, some kind of personal meditation practice, but to realize your true nature is already perfect. Not as a person, because that's never going to be perfect, but ultimately, our true nature is Dhamma, perfection, re ultimate reality. And then the, that leaves us with nothing to fear. We can deal with the, our conditioning then, in a, with wisdom, with understanding. We're not justifying anything about ourselves or trying to, to um, blame anyone else for our defects or our unhappiness, but recognizing the tendency to blame is like this. So rather than trying to stop blaming people, use blame as an object to, because you can witness it. You, conscious awareness, you're aware that you're blaming somebody for your suffering. And it arises and ceases according to other conditions. So the Buddha pointed to the conditioned realm to wit be the witness of it. Not the judge, not the owner, but the, the, uh, the witness that, that is pure conscious awareness that is when we say the amata dhamma, it's the ultimate reality, the deathless reality that is our true nature. Now you can't imagine that because there's no words that can, can go there. Words are limited to conditioned phenomena, to space, to forms, to time. But timeless, timelessness is, is ultimate reality. Time is a condition, is a phenomena. Consciousness through the senses is phenomenal. Because consciousness that we experience through seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, you know, the, the senses themselves are very delicate, easily damaged. We can be blind, deaf, lose our sense of smell. We can, you know, we can get completely, uh, lose our minds. by identifying with the way we think, by not being the witness of thought, but the grasping, the owner of our thoughts, believing our thoughts. Believing what we think is what I really am. Or what I, that I'm right. Become very righteous, that I, what I say and think and Dhamma, and about Dhamma, about Buddhism, about reality is right. If I take the, the stand of being a righteous monk, 
What is that like? Is that equanimous? No, it's always it's judging what isn't right. It gets very upset by what isn't right, what's wrong with people, what's wrong with the world. So ultimate reality transcends righteousness, wrong and right cease. We, we don't grasp those, those perceptions anymore. They can still arise, but we're the knower of the world, the knowing that righteous feelings are impermanent, not self. Hating evil is, you know, we should destroy evil, destroy the evil forces. It is uh, a slogan of politicians. Politics, destroy the enemy, destroy the evil forces. It all sounds very righteous because evil is bad and it should be annihilated, and righteousness should reign on the planet Earth. And that's very frightening, way to, if you grasp such thoughts, that's very frightening, because you become a, a fanatic. So grasping conditions, notice it, the conditions are the way they are. So when you're feeling righteous and judgmental about others, it's like this. Rather than trying to, to just uh, not be righteous, trying to be humble, trying to love all creatures uh, in the same way, equally, is our noble endeavors from ideal ways of thinking but is reality that we experience through the forms, the senses that we experience life through, it's not like that. Everything's changing. So change now is, is part of the fear that you hear in the mass media. Climate change is, is what is so much talked about. And is it wrong or right? Is it just a... Uh, a fake, frightening political position, or is it really true? Is everything changing? Yes, it is. That's the nature of phenomena to change. The way it is isn't a kind of resignation to change, but to understand, let change inform us that, that all conditions are impermanent. And it's through that kind of investigation on a very personal level, as you're willing to look at things you don't like about yourself or, you know, or what you, any righteous positions that you hold, it's not that you shouldn't have them, but it's they're like this. And the witness is not righteous. It's not judging, it's aware that I'm right and you're wrong is, when it's present, it's like this, when it's, then it ceases. You can't sustain it as a position to take all the time.
except through delusion, through clinging to it, being caught in a kind of fanatic, uh, grasping relationship to what you think is right, then you become a, a terrorist. So these divine abodes, as we abide in the silence, the pure, unmitigated, immutable silence of consciousness, consciousness, that conscious, perfect, undifferentiated conscious awareness here and now. That is your refuge. And no matter how you are as a person, or what you believe in, or your position in the Sangha, or how you feel about being junior, senior, male or female, monk or nun, lay person, uh, you know, these are condition attitudes that we have is to be the witness. We're not trying to make you perfect personalities, but giving you the, the encouragement to abide in what you truly are. Your true home is in conscious awareness, the deathless reality, the Amata Dhamma. So I offer this as a reflection.